So 402 is payment required. And it is, it's interesting to think like, oh yeah, they were already thinking about that as a layer or a plugin or something for the internet back in those days. So, you know, nothing ever got put there, right? Third-party providers did, but nothing at lower layer. So yeah, TCP IP payments, one could argue lightning runs on TCP IP and that's how it moves things really quickly. So why not lightning? The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Archetype Wealth Partners or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. In this episode of Navigating the Noise, I am joined by Brian Nani, who is a software developer and Bitcoiner at NCR. Brian explains why he believes in Bitcoin and discusses what it's like to work for a company that seeks to grow through innovation and consistently reskilling its workforce. We also discuss our experience at the recent TabConf, Lightning, and the potential for DeFi on Bitcoin. If you're looking for a better way to understand Bitcoin's past and its future potential as an economic network, then join us and listen in. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining today. I've got with me Brian Nani of, of NCR. Um, Brian and I met recently at TabComp. Uh, it's a Bitcoin conference here in Atlanta. And uh, Brian was a really interesting guy. And we kind of hit it off and connected and shared some similar views on Bitcoin. So I thought I'd have him on and, and talk to us today uh, about what it's like to be a developer uh, in these times, these interesting times with all that's changing in the financial space and, and Bitcoin and crypto and uh, what's going on in NCR. So Brian, if you'll tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then we'll kind of uh, keep rolling along with the dialogue. Do it. Yeah. So um, I started out as a uh, pretty non-traditional sort of person into this space. And I think that's indicative or maybe kind of similar to a lot of people um, in that realm, both on the investment and the technical side. But yeah, so back in like, fat, you know, rewind to 2014, um, I had just graduated from UGA with a comms degree, got out of school, did marketing, um, and found myself continuously unchallenged with my work. So I decided to challenge myself and started to learn how to code. And around that, that was around 2016. And around that time, you know, I think 2014, actually, now if I go back, if I really think about 2014-15, was the first time I heard the word Bitcoin. And I uh, had a friend explain it to me, and I thought to myself, that sounds like a scam. Um, and so, you know, obviously, I didn't really look deep into it at the time and didn't really understand it. So I just, you know, didn't think about it until 2016 when I got more technical and started to learn how to code and uh, rediscovered the topic of blockchains. I started to look at resources for how to, you know, what is a blockchain and how to create a cryptocurrency. Uh, quickly, I realized that I didn't have like the coding or programming knowledge to do that. And the course was pretty advanced. So I went back to school um, and kept working and then went back to school full time after a couple of years of that. Uh, I got my CS degree and landed at NCR um, where, you know, at first it was we, hey, we do you know, blockchain research and we're also in, you know, the ATM space, banking, retail, restaurant, you know, point of sale, transactions, et cetera. But we also have a very robust lab where we do AI and ML. And so I kept voicing that I wanted to be a part of the blockchain research team. 
And eventually after, you know, we got out of the woods with COVID as, as many people could probably relate to that as, as a business owner or being a part of a business. After we got out of those woods, we were able to really throw ourselves into projects. And so my first project was focused on like decentralized identity and how to use that for banks and restaurants and retail. Uh, we built something out of that and then moved on to like Ethereum and built a in-house cryptocurrency that was just for fun and, and not for profit. Um, and then we went on to learn, uh, do a deep dive and are still doing deep diving into Lightning Network, which is a layer two on top of Bitcoin. And we can talk about that more later. Uh, but yeah, so there's kind of the, uh, and you know, we built some cool ideas and submitted them to Hackathon and won the Hackathon with it. And that, those were blockchain-based ideas. And so all kinds of cool stuff that we've been doing at the lab. So yeah, so that's kind of my crypto story, soup to nuts, how I got here. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and it's neat to see a company like NCR, an, an older company, well-established global brand, uh, really uh, looking to adopt uh, Bitcoin in the greater ecosystem or crypto system um, in what they do on a daily basis. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and it kind of, to my knowledge, sort of an ATM play from back in the day. I was doing a little bit further research. It looks like originally they started in a telecom uh, popped up out of Bell Labs and then we spun out um, back in the 80s, 90s, up until now, they worked on the, the ATM networks. So um, really makes sense uh, for people like NCR, uh, employees like yourself to kind of at least be tinkering around with, with Bitcoin. What does that look like internally? Um, you mentioned that there's a group, uh, a blockchain group. Is that something you guys just meet a little bit on is that like a google 10 percent of your time um and and what kind of stuff do you guys do in the labs in preparation for what might be revenue streams yeah yeah all great questions so um to start internally you know uh my our executive director of innovation frank frank hinnick has done you know extensive work internally to merchandise the idea of cryptocurrency and specifically bitcoin uh you know just it being a big market mover and just it being such a whale in the market. It's just an easy thing to point to and say, hey, look, look at how well this is doing. We should be here. Uh, but then also just really the technology underlying it, right? And so it's a, it's a lot of education. It's a lot of getting people acquainted with what is the point and with them, you know, what's in it for me. And so trying to understand that at a high level can be difficult. And so you need somebody who's expert in understanding the low level to then also have a, a a skill for making that palatable and tolerable for somebody who doesn't really care about the details and cares more about, you know, the big picture. And so Frank's done a great job with that and really pushed over the last two years, uh, NCR into this space. And so that's kind of where we're at from my, that's, you know, I don't have a lot of insight to that, right. That was more mm -hmm. on his side, but from my side, you know, I saw a company that was, you know, 136, 137 years old looking to innovate. And I found it interesting that they had a blockchain uh, specific part of the lab. And I just kept digging in, like, what does that mean? And so, you know, at first it was things like using a, a blockchain called Hyperledger and Hyperledger is like an open source project and they do a lot of different things. And one of those is decentralized identity. And so imagine, you know, basically eliminating the need to sign into your bank with a username and password, but instead you go to your bank and you scan a QR code with your self-sovereign identity in this um, enabled wallet and you have a credential that has your information on it, in it, and that credential is verifiable. The issuance of it can be verified on chain using cryptography, 
right? And so instead of you providing this information and potentially getting hacked, you now hold that your own information and you only reveal small parts of it by through, you know, back and forth, you know, challenge response type of things. So that was a, a, a big, interesting, eye-opening thing that, you know, also if you call your bank, it's a, it's a big cost to have a bank call center where you got to tell them your favorite color and where'd you live the last two years and what's your mother's maiden name. It's like kind of silly, right? So instead of doing that, is there a digital solution that's decentralized? And there is, it's decentralized identity. So internally, that's some of the things that I've seen and some of the you know, the uh, culture around it is pretty new. So we are trying to build what's called, you know, a, a meetup, what's called like blockchain and crypto at NCR. And the idea there is just education, right? It takes somebody who's really self-starter or really entrepreneurial, or really curious to really dive in and then buy in. So you could hear about Bitcoin, read one article, it could be a bad article and say, nah, not for me, right? So we need people to understand that there's a value proposition, not only to the market, but to them and to them as a consumer, but also an employee. And so a lot of that is the motivation for the, for the meetups. Um, so, so yeah, so we've done some internal uh, presentations and we've got interesting questions. You know, I think we did a 30 minute presentation and then the last 30 minutes was all questions. And I'm talking, there were no silences. Everybody was ripping questions off. So it's awesome to see, because it means that people really care. Um, and it was one of the most well-attended tech talks at NCR. So people are super excited about this stuff. So yeah, that's kind of the, the internal view. And then as far as the lab goes, you know, we're doing just about anything that we can with regard to skill building. So is it a skill that we should have as an engineer building products for our customers and for consumers eventually? And then as well as value proposition, you know, construction, if you will, or value, creating valuable things that can be used either by us or by other teams to then integrate the products and create new value for our customers and new value for the market. And that includes obviously, like I mentioned, de decentralized identity, but also mo most importantly, and most recently, you know, the innovation of cryptocurrency, adding that to payments, adding that to ATMs, um, and then using things like the Lightning Network to make those more efficient and more cheap and more, uh, more cost efficient, things of that nature. So yeah, I think that hits on every uh, every point you had or every question in that or point in that question you had. Excuse yeah. Me. Yeah. There was a lot. Sorry. Sometimes I uh, ask many questions in one just to, oh, to let good. people smarter than me uh, uh, <laughs> ramble on and, and educate. Um, one of the interesting things there is you're in a payments company. Um, <clears throat> so you have all levels of, of people, but you just assume that a company like NCR that, that works with the payment rails and facilitating commerce through transactions, everybody in there would just be total Bitcoiners already know about it. But it sounds like from the, the event or, or the education session that you guys had, maybe even in your own space, which would be prime real estate for uh, Bitcoin crypto enthusiasts, there's still like we're still that early where there's so many people that don't exactly have a grasp or, or maybe they do, but it's just strictly from that trading standpoint. Um, is there anything there that excites you about how early it is as we move? In my opinion, we're kind of moving where trading still a big deal and a big interest to, you know, news headlines and, and personal gains. But once you get past that trading and you get to like, wow, we can do possibly these things. Is there anything that excites you about moving past trading or any thoughts you have on I'm getting away from just like, what's the price of Bitcoin today? Yeah, totally. That's actually a really good question. 
and it brings up two things to my mind. So before I get into the what's exciting, the first thought I had when you when you started talking about NCR and there being some you know this need for education internally, it it, it reminds me and makes me just think of the fact that and a lot of people don't may may not know this, but NCR is an old company. We've been around for 136 years, uh, and to be around as a company that stays alive, profitable, and thrives is hard for that long of a period of time. So you have to have something core to your business that is that valuable and then that inherent to the market, right? Because things change. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you're talking late 1800s until today. Um, and so something as pivotal or as seminal as the cash register. And then now today we have, you know, ATMs, points of sale terminals, but we really focus on the software, right? And so I guess my point in all that is, how do you, when you think about a company that, that, that has been around that long, like how do you as a company ensure your survival? And in my mind, it takes diligence and process and focus to figure out where is the next best opportunity and how do we iterate to then be better and do better. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes time, right? And that's slow. And that's part of the reason why NCR may, you know, is quote, somewhat late in some regards, but not really, right? Because to your point, there's still so many people that don't understand it, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, anyway, so I just want to point that out and, and talk about that briefly, just because you know, I find that interesting. And it, it, it may give people insight into how NCR, you know, thinks as a company and, and, and maybe may something they hadn't thought about. Well, it's something to but, say, I mean, you know, they're there with the gold rush earlier than that, but you know, picks and shovels, they're literally selling the cash registers back then. You know, yeah. the, the yeah. first cash registers, I think it was NCR that sold them or, or yep. the parent company or whatever. And so then you, you move along hundred years and things start to digitize and they're like, Hey, we're going to build these, uh, networks of ATM machines, just like digital cash registers. And then, uh, things go along another 10, 20 years and the point of sale terminals and they, they kind of get involved in the software and a little bit hardware on all that. Uh, and now they're smart and like how you stay in the game for 137 years is you don't just poo poo technologies like kind of JP Morgan and Jamie Dimon are like, nah, it's, you know, or, or Buffett's rat poison. Um, you know, you, you at least explore, Hey, does this thing work for us that, you know, is it new skills that we can add and labor and, and resources and bring to the market for whatever comes that who knows what comes product wise, but, uh, you, yeah. you stay in the game by being smart enough to at least dabble, um, yeah. which you got, yeah. you mentioned you guys did uh, recently a deal with Liberty X and, and maybe you can talk a little bit about what that is and how that might help in, in you guys figuring out uh, revenue streams and, and products to bring to consumers. Yeah. Yeah. I can talk about that. Um, and that's kind of tangential to your, your question about the, what, what is exciting because that's, that's where I was going to go with it. That's what's exciting, right? Is this onset or this possible up uh, on take of payments across the current networks that already are existing, right? So these legacy networks of ATMs and people, the thing about NCR is people use NCR software and hardware every day and never have any idea. Like next time you go to Walmart, next time you go to Whole Foods, next time you go to Target, take a look at the the point of sale that, that people are scanning that the person behind the counter is scanning and you'll, or an ATM at one of your banks potentially, and you'll see NCR's logo there. And so it's just a vast network and Liberty X being a initially was a hardware ATM company and then 
decided to iterate and get rid of that uh, overhead and became a software ATM company was extremely valuable from our perspective for a couple of reasons. One, we have enough hardware. We're a company that has a vast amount of hardware. We don't need more of it. Two, we love software. Software as a service is great. It's really profitable. It's good for the market. People like it and that's what they want. That's where everything's driving and has been for a while. So that's what we want. And so we can easily, you know, in, in create a suite of services around this Liberty X acquisition um, that would then allow our legacy products like the ATMs and the points of sale to flip switches and turn on functionality. Now, like I do want to annotate and say that I'm not a decision maker. I'm not the guy, you know, behind the behind the curtain, pressing the button, so to speak. Um, that would more so be my uh, my my boss's boss, Frank Hinek, and then you know our CTO Tim and the CEO Mike Hayford, and so those guys are really really pushing. And uh, Frank's been you know a big part of the, a main part of that acquisition, and so they're all coming up with the roadmap. But these are just like ideas, or this is a vision I think of the future of what could uh, could be possible with Liberty X and NCR. Yeah, and it's awesome. I mean, it's good to see big companies uh, getting in early. You know, Bitcoin around twelve years or so now. It's it doesn't feel early, but when you look at the landscape of what's happening, how quickly things change from from a corporate perspective, it's really early. So that's exciting, and and I know for you and and the guys that you work with that work on it, it's got to be awesome as well. Um, so, you know, the other point that I think bodes well for what you're doing, uh, there and, and, and locally for, for us, Georgia tech and, and all these things in Atlanta is that, um, most of, I think we talked about it. I'd read it at one point. I don't know if it's exactly correct, but 70% of the United States transactions run through Atlanta. Uh, NCR is a big hub of that and, and maybe 30% of the global transactions. So if you just, and, and we could go on for days, whether Bitcoin is a payments network network or not, it's probably not its most valuable thing, but as the, you know, financial system transitions from the old rails to the new rails, it, it will be a big component in that transactional layer, some one way or another. Uh, so that's, that's pretty exciting that for you to be kind of in the hotbed of, of what is a, a you know, not emerging anymore, but a growing, very growing, a big growing industry. Um, There's definitely a future that, that we talk about internally and we think about where, and people talk about it, right? Like merch at, uh, from chain code, like he talked about this in the scaling Bitcoin on chain uh, at tab comp. So if you're out there and you're listening and you, you're wondering what the heck I'm talking about, uh, you can check out Stefan Lavera's most recent podcast, or you could go check out, the tab conf YouTube and find that panel discussion with merch and a couple other guys from different companies. But, but yeah, so he, he talked about it and it's a lot, there's a lot of discussion around on-chain scaling and how the future basically holds, you know, a world where all 21 million Bitcoin have been mined and there's very few on-chain transactions that actually occur on a day-to-day basis. And so you basically have these massive, like almost like banking type companies, but some massive company that's doing reconciliation at the end of a month. And they have one massive output that creates a bunch of UTXOs, unspent transaction outputs onto chain, and they sign it with themselves, which compacts a lot of data, makes it very efficient. And they only have one signature on it, right? A bunch of, so it's just interesting that that's kind of like talked about. And I think you're right in that like one day there could be a lot of, 
stuff built on top of this. And that is a transaction layer that only really gets utilized at very small amounts because, you know, transaction costs might be higher, but so you, you, you bulk, you batch them. Right. So, so anyway, yeah, and that, kind of that's leave, uh, yeah. it, payment networks, financial institutions, like, you know, I'm in the wealth management space, but you've got trading desk and, and you've got um, exchanges and whatnot, and they have to batch, transactions at the end of every day but that's part of mm -hmm. the problem right now just from a moving value around the world it's a four-day deal and mm -hmm. so with these instantly settled technologies and and the the um immutable blockchains it's like you can get that done quickly and you know finite settlement happen all right in the same day or, you know, you could do it at the end of the day if it needed to be orchestrated so that all the institutions could kind of catch up. Um, but that's the beauty of it. Um, and if you look at all the different ways that we've paid for things or we've transferred value, the biggest, you know, through history, the biggest thing that has kind of impeded innovation has just been the slowness that it takes to settle. And so the beauty of of Bitcoin, and then we can talk a little bit more about lightning here in a few minutes, is that it speeds all that up. And, and the, where we are today was greatly sped up in the 1950s when a lot of exchanges were put online and you kind of moved away from stock certificates to digital ownership, um, which allowed you to trade intraday. Now, arguably, you know, one could easily argue that uh, our, our, we would all probably have more wealth if we could trade less. Um, you know, few people, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> few people do it well. Um, but in other aspects of our life that, that speed with which value can, can move because of these technologies could allow for a lot. Um, one thing that we've talked about a couple of times and it was step back here for just a second, uh, that I thought was big, but maybe it's because, uh, I share some review that your realization that you kind of entered into Bitcoin was just trading. How do I make money yeah. about this thing? How do I, uh, figure out what the price should be versus what it is today. And then you kind of step back and say, wait a second, this thing could be an investment, but it doesn't have to be, could be a currency. doesn't have to be, could be a technology. doesn't have to be, but then at the same time, it can be all three of those things. So I share that view, you know, 100%, but maybe you can talk to a little bit about how you came to that realization, what you think that means uh, as you seek more of a career in this, this space than just, you know, Hey, I made some Bitcoin or made yeah. some money on Bitcoin. Yeah, totally. It's a great, it's a great question and a good call out because a lot of people see it as a asset class of some kind, like a speculative, potentially speculative investment vehicle. Um, and that's obvious when you look at the way news stories talk about it and the way the, the world kind of looks at it as a, Oh, it's one Bitcoin equals this much dollars, right? Well, you're obviously going to look at it like an investment play at that point because it's always pegged against some value, um, some denomination of fiat. Um, and so that was, yeah, my entrance to it. And, you know, I was buying and trying to time and running algorithms and staying up all night, drinking coffee, trying to figure out what's it supposed to be and whether I should short or, or long or whatever. Um, and, and hold and then sell and blah, blah, blah. And is it worth it? Um, and so, you know, over time, I come, came to get more acquainted, um, you know, because at first that happened. And then I was like, what is this? Like, what is the tech? And so I really looked at the technology and started understanding the basis for, um, you know, how a transaction gets moves money and what that means. And then 
what is this blockchain data structure and why is it why does it work and you know how do you how do you prevent double spending or things like that like that the the innovation that satoshi nakamoto was able to implement with his white paper and so yeah so i got deep into the technology and started learning that and i think like in the last couple of years like last year that's really taken off and i've really gotten into like programming bitcoin with jimmy song and and reading mastering lightning network and reading the mastering bitcoin books and just becoming more proficient um but yeah then tab comp hit and it was the first time that i'd ever gone to a full bitcoin conference where everybody there was either a contributor to some core software or they were a person that works for a company that has interest or they were just somebody that was just a super uh, advocate and fan or you know even like yeah, i would say a nerd for bitcoin and it was just this cool culture of human beings that i had never really thought about so i, I categorized it as like trading is just bitcoin versus Bitcoin core is the technology versus capital B idealistic Bitcoin as this like cultural space. Um, and so, yeah, so I don't know, over time, I guess, as your brain shifts focus or shifts, shifts perspective, you start to take in information slightly differently. And as a result, you gain insight, right? And I think that's what happened to me at Tabcom. Yeah, I was trying to figure out where I fit in that picture. And then uh, you said that the fans that were just there as nerds. Um, and I realized that that, that was me. That's you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, and and the, and you know that's where we met. Um, and we were just talking about how how awesome it was the collection of talent and knowledge that was there. It, to me, it, it was big. I'm, I'd been to one in the past. I missed one, but it was great. The guys that were there, uh, from from my perspective on the wealth management side, I was really impressed with jeremy rubin his knowledge of the derivative space um and and his passion for bringing smart smart contracts DeFi type things to bitcoin which uh you can talk to a little bit about but it has kind of been one of those things that the bitcoin community as a whole for years is, is sort of stiff-armed uh ethereum and other communities have have gotten a lot of the headlines and and there's use cases for those things uh, but mm -hmm. it's definitely the bitcoin networks kind of store of value and they've stayed in that box and the other networks uh or more DeFi and smart contract related and just kind of all the whiz bang connections which also there's reasons that those should work for banking so um i was really impressed with jeremy uh ben carmen he was great ryan gentry on lightning he was great but Ben and, and Jeremy both talked, not a lot, but two of their bigger points were the derivative space. And, and to me, that's one area I've been the most interested in because there's a lot of room for innovation, a lot of room for disruption in the way that it happens on Wall Street as it relates to those things. A lot of um, over-the-counter stuff that maybe is done verbally or just kind of not backroom deals, but off exchange. And, and now you have this way to codify it and you could set wallets and multi-sig and you can do all this stuff where uh, if an Oracle says an event happens, it happened and it kind of removes all the legal battles that we see. So uh, that was really awesome. Uh, any points from, from what you saw in there that, that were big to you? Yeah, absolutely. I agree uh, with you. It's very exciting and interesting. And I liked all of their talks, especially Jeremy's. Uh, he's, I would say he's one of those people that as soon as he gets into like an idea, I don't know him well, but 
what I've seen, it makes me think he's one of those people that when he gets into an idea or like locks onto something, he's like all in, you know what I mean? So that's probably how he became such a whiz with derivatives. Cause he probably just spent so much time reading about options and all kinds and, and contracts and swaps and all that stuff. And it definitely blows me out of the water, but yeah, to your, to your question. Yeah. I, uh, I found Jeremy's talk on DeFi and the potential for DeFi in Bitcoin, super exciting because He's basically trying to build. Um, so the way it was put, um, it was Ethereum is kind of a pile of crap. Um, of course, that's, you know, has its debates and, and it has its ups and side downs. But Ethereum is kind of a bad foundation. But when you look at what's built on top of it, there's all these really nice houses and they're beautiful and they're well architected and they could withstand all kinds of beatings from rain and sleet and snow. But the foundation is bad, you know, in that sense. So, you know, you want to maybe take that and put those really nice houses on a really hard, strong foundation. Like why not? Right. Um, and so I found that to be really inspiring and exciting. And then I think his plea almost to the community, uh, which can be very, as he put ossified in its view of what we want to do and where we want to go with Bitcoin as a technology, he, it was almost a plea to stop being so ossified and start being more open-minded to the idea of building this tech, this new DeFi tech on top of Bitcoin for myriad of reasons, not the least of which is there's core tenants to the blockchain network and the Bitcoin network that make it valuable. And that includes things like decentralization and uh, self-custody and um, you know things like censorship resistance and privacy. All of these things are important and they're tenants, they're core pillars. Um, and so not having you know, it's not having some of the DeFi abilities could lead to event and ossifying things as they are could lead eventually to the degradation of some of these pillars. And neither he nor I nor you nor anybody who cares about this space wants to see that. And so those are kind of my biggest takeaways from his talk that I found interesting and, and really exciting in some ways. Yeah. And and that's a big point because he he was definitely pro, hey, let's get some of the you know, for lack of better terms, cool stuff on the Bitcoin yeah. network. And the good thing about Bitcoin is it is the most secure. It is the most stable. It is the hardest. It is the slowest. Slow is a, a feature, not a bug. Um, yep. Yep. But I do believe he's right that, that you know, the world's being taken by storm from all these other DeFi protocols and or, or just protocols with DeFi built in, which is most of it will wipe out traditional finance, TradFi. Um and that decentralized finance component to me mimics what we see in our credit card network. So, you know, it's cool. The whole store of store value and sound money. We need that. That's the problem in the world right now. The world uh, financially and, and economics wise is broken because we're missing that sound money that, that uh, you know, unit that we can store up value in over time. And so Bitcoin solves that problem, but, we also know that people like to spend, they like to go, they like to do. And so money that just sits doesn't accrue value if you can't spend it in the future uh, mm -hmm. or if you can't connect it to other things. So I think uh, I'm very hopeful for some of the stuff that Jeremy talked about and, and, and his push because it will just help grow the entire ecosystem. And we don't have to be so entrenched into it's one coin wins or nothing because there's no industry in the world where it's just one player. Uh, yeah. You, 
you have, and there's just lots of different personalities that you need to meet. Um, so a big thing, I think maybe something you've been working on a little bit, I've been dabbling in it, uh, but not, not crazy or anything is the lightning network. What are you doing there? What, what do you, what excites you on that? Maybe you can talk a little bit about what that is for, for people that maybe aren't as familiar with, with lightning. Yeah, totally. So this in my mind, so again, you know, I don't make the roadmap decisions for NCR with regard to our Bitcoin acquisition, but if I had to speculate based on my conversations around what's going to come in the future and what we're going to build out, right? And so we take Liberty X and we can potentially build out this buying and selling at ATMs and using a Bitcoin at points of sale and for groceries and coffee and whatever. But then, you know, you, you look at the current system and really we distinguish them by like kiosk versus an ATM. And right now there's a lot of Bitcoin kiosks. And if you go try and use one of those, they don't have a great user experience. You're usually waiting there for a little bit and, you know, on-chain transactions, as some of us, you know, in the space know, um, can be really slow. And it's really, you know, it's still faster than a traditional uh, reconciliation, right? So you think about it from like a pending debit card charge that takes three days to clear. Like, and that's like a bunch of backend systems that are probably written in Fortran or COBOL or some craziness. Um, and then, so you, you, you look at that as your benchmark and you're thinking 10 minutes is, oh my gosh, like that's like, you know, a godsend. But then what if we could take that and turn it into milliseconds or microseconds, like the speed of the internet? Like, what if you could make a payment on Bitcoin that would be literally as fast as going to google.com and your browser and it renders? And that's the promise of lightning, really. At a high level, it's... Bitcoin transactions at the speed of the internet. And it does run, you know, on the technical side, it does run a little bit over TCP IP, so the traditional net, uh, internet. But there's also a Tor network that it uses for gossip and communication between nodes. And then it uses the Bitcoin network, the Bitcoin blockchain as its settlement layer, as its reconciliation layer. So you can think about it as, for example, you know, Kane, if you and I decided to open a channel between our nodes, and we both, I decide I'm going to open one to you and I have 2 million Satoshis, which is like 0 0.02, I think of a Bitcoin or 0 0.002, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, 0 0.002 of a Bitcoin, right? So if I take that and I turn it into Satoshis um, on, on, in my lightning node, on my Bitcoin wallet on my lightning node, I decide to open a channel to you. What happens there is there's this thing called a two of two multi-sig, right? So it's this fancy way of saying it's a new type of transaction where I come up with a initial amount that I have and I say, hey, I've got 2 million on my side and Kane's got zero. And then you say, hey, I've got zero on my side and Brian's got 2 million. And you take those transactions and you sign them and you broadcast them. And that basically creates a transaction on chain that then allows you to unlock the liquidity into your lightning node. And then now I have 2 million sats that I could send to you, right? And let's say you're like well-connected. You've got a bunch of channels coming in and out. And let's say one of those channels is in the future could be Target, right? So you have a channel with Target and I get a channel with you. And now I can pay a, an invoice at Target because I have a channel and I'm running a node and I have, that, I have that connection to you and you have that to Target. So that's kind of the idea. It's like, Thinking of it as like um, of like channels of liquidity where you have to sort of have money to be able to create liquidity and then you can move liquidity between nodes on that network. Um, and so right now it's pretty new and there's providers out there like OpenNode and Strike 
I highly recommend anyone who's looking to get a really nice, cheap way of buying Bitcoin to download Strike. I'm not, I don't work for Strike. I don't have any investment in Strike, but I just love the product. And Jack Mallers is a, a really cool dude. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of how it works. And and what, why is this important, right? Well, you could speculate of a future where NCR takes this and integrates this technology. And so instead of it taking 10 minutes at an ATM or five minutes or however many minutes, you, you know, in the in the pool on, on the on-chain transactions that are being recorded, it could take seconds. You could walk away and be done, right? And so that's a really exciting prospect, not only the time aspect, but then if you look at the cost of moving just one hop, so to speak, from one node to the next, um, you know, if we have infrastructure that allows somebody to sell their Bitcoin at an ATM and it's using the Lightning Network, and it's one hop to get that that Bitcoin, you know, sent from them to somewhere else, or vice versa for buying, you're talking a fraction of a penny. Like one Satoshi doesn't even like it's like uh, hundreds of Satoshis or something like that to a dollar. So I think it's actually like two thousand to fifty cents. So like three to four thousand for a dollar. So imagine you pay one Satoshi for that fee. I mean, that's just mind blowing. You basically got a free transaction. The cool thing so, yeah. is it's it's bringing uh, network effects to our money, to our banking, where we've seen the value of network effects and how, um, you know, it, it, it has made social media has kind of made our lives worse in some aspects. But initially it, it, it made it better because it connected us with old friends, family, people across the world, just groups of people. You and I could meet online and not live in the same country and carry mm -hmm. on conversations like this. So it's bringing those uh, network effects to our money, to, to banking, where currently banking is siloed out. I think you mentioned part of uh, what, you know, NCR is able to do is, is take the different credit card networks that, that they have rolled up in the umbrella of the company. And now you can kind of do transactions between them or, or just, work with them together as one, even though they're two different networks. And so when you see that play out into our lives on the consumer side, you can only imagine that the types of things that will come in the future that, that aren't today. Um, also a point that I was reminded of when, when you were talking about the Tabconf and lightning uh, Ryan Gentry, he's with lightning labs and, he was doing his presentation and he made a point that, and I don't remember the exact error, it was 403 or 401 or 40 something uh, internet error that is actually a payment error. And it has oh, been, yeah. it has been in the, uh, you know, it was put in when TCPIP was built out back in the 80s, 70s, 60s, whenever it was, that was put in there. So, you know, 30, 40 years ago, they're already thinking about, hey, with this globally connected network, we'll just have people sending payments over it. And so when you think about Bitcoin and crypto just being an evolution of the internet, let's just forget that they're currencies. It's an evolution of the internet. We saw what, you know, Web 1.0 did in the 90s, Web 2.0 in the mid 2000s, and we're just hitting that Web 3.0 yeah. and, and, and what that means. Um, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, yeah, it's actually HTTP error code 402. Okay. So 404 is like not right. found. Yep. Yeah. So 402 is payment required. Yeah, I've actually uh, had this point brought up to me as well. And it is, it's interesting to think like, oh, yeah, they were already thinking about that as a layer or a plugin or something for the internet back in those days. So why, you know, nothing ever got put there.
right? Third-party mm-hmm. providers did, but nothing at that layer, at that lower layer. So yeah, TCP IP payments. I mean, you know, one could argue Lightning runs on TCP IP for its gossip network and other other things, and that's how it moves things really quickly. So, uh, so why not Lightning, right? <laughs> right, and and it just goes to show for, you know, maybe people that are still like, well, this is just a currency, and we we don't need another currency. It's true. If we live in the West or a developed country, mm-hmm. you know, Venmo, Square, PayPal, Visa, whatever is easier. I can go to the store. I know it's accepted. I can't go to the store with my Bitcoin wallet and get it accepted in most places. You know, this year there's rolled out a lot of different cards that that you can use Bitcoin or you can accrue Bitcoin with traditional cash systems. So that's awesome. Um, but but I would encourage people to look past the currency component, um, the investment com- component, and think about it more like from the, you know, the way Jack Myler thinks about it, the just pure messaging protocols, how to send things around the world without barriers. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, he's awesome. I don't know how he knows what he knows at, at the young age that he does, but I refer to him as, uh, you know, the, the M&M of banking. Um, so that's, he, yeah. he's a cool dude to, to listen to and get pumped up. I think we've talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's a great guy. Um, yeah. If anyone's interested, there was a, um, uh, interview with him on what Bitcoin did with Peter McCormick. That was really got me really going, so to speak, like kind of in the same vibe you're talking about where he's like really pumps you up. And I was like, kind of like, you know, really pumped. I was in the car. I was like, yeah, <laughs> listen to this podcast. Like, you know, looking around, like I'm ridiculous, but, yeah. uh, but I was excited because he was talking about how, you know, you can buy and sell on strike and it's basically fearless. And he called out the CEO of Coinbase saying like, you know, it's a race to the bottom. It's just like the traditional, um, traditional stock, uh, like fidelity and, and, or whomever, right. This traditional stock. Well, it's training. like MySpace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like not my space, the thing, yeah. but uh, in, in traditional finance, wealth management, um, banking over the last, you know, it took a decade or so. Yes. But there, it, it was a race to zero. And so this past year, banks got to zero at a lot of their desks. Revenues dropped in the last couple of years, but it just became very evident because banks just kind of looked at Bitcoin as like, this is dumb. Nobody's going to do it. And fee revenues dried up. And then they looked around and they're like, wait, we just lost 20 or 30% of our deposit base to these crypto institutions. What are we going to do now? And yeah. then you started seeing uh, a change uh, at the federal level, a change at most of the government entities that kind of call the shots and, and they started making it possible for banks to get involved. So, I, yeah. you know, one way or another, you got to get in. Uh, that's, yeah. that's just, is there something that, that you do for people that are still on the fence or still, uh, don't really quote unquote, get it. I think there's less of those today, but how, how do you frame that for people? Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, I've had people ask me things like what, why does Bitcoin have value? Uh, what makes it valuable? Um, and then they, that's a, that's a loaded question because it could be either like, do you mean, like, why does the technology have value or why does it literally have a value against fiat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are two completely different and separate questions that are where the, the latter is based on demand and the former is based on some unique value proposition to the market. 
And so that's where I usually go to is, um, you know, there's like um, a way to describe the tech and, and some people immediately hear it and they say, oh, and you see the light bulb. And some people are just not as convinced because, you know, they're just not, they are okay with the current system the way it is. Um, there maybe it's fear, probably a slight fear of, of the shift of something so foundational as money, right? Because if you think about money, obviously it's a, it's a representation of our time and our time is the one non-renewable resource uh, that human beings have. So uh, it's very valuable in that sense. So, so I think it's, you know, fear, but, but yeah, I don't know. I point to the fact that uh, like Jack Maurer says there, I try to use this, this, these words of instant, almost instant bare metal finality, right? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Bare instrument finality. It means on one node, you can, or from your wallet, when you when you distribute a transaction to send a UTXO to somebody and maybe a change output back to yourself. So you send, I send you 0.6. I only have one Bitcoin. I send you 0.6. I have to send myself 0.4, right? And so when that happens, that gets broadcast via you know a a gossip node, and then that there's mining miners out there that are listening for that, validating the transaction, putting it into a block. And within, you know, depending on how the traffic is going within minutes, that's finalized. It's on chain. You can view it. You can go to a place like mempool.space and get a transaction ID and see, yes, this wallet address paid this wallet address. And you don't know who they are, but you can see it and it's done. And in your receiving, you know, you have it, right? And then Lightning, again, does that, but faster. And so when I tell people that, you know, sometimes, like I said, they are like, oh, wow. Uh, that's amazing. And sometimes they're, they're convinced, but not fully. So then it goes to the idea of just market economics and, uh, and people have wanting demand for it. And then I also, uh, another thing I kind of go to is Bitcoin is unique in that it was implemented by one, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto and first node was put online and then other nodes came online and there's rules to it that are preset and that can't be changed. You can't just up and change how much Bitcoin gets produced. And there's a finite market of Bitcoin and that's 21 million Bitcoins across its entirety um, as a system, right? And so one day in like 2,150 or something like that, there yeah, will be 40, no more mining. Yeah, is that it? Thank 40, you. Yep. Yeah, it's 140. So yes, there will be no more mining. And so that's kind of a like a big deal, right? There's no inflation. You can't just print more if you want. Like it gives power to people um, and it gives power to the market to not be diluted and centralized. And the only way you could change that would be to get, you know, over 90% of nodes to signal for wanting to increase block size, which would increase the amount that gets produced. And good luck because it, it already tried to happen and it failed in 2017, mm -hmm. right? And so another thing I talk about, and this is the last point I'll make. Another thing I talk about is the idea of self-custody and how important self-sovereignty is in, I think, the new future, um, especially in places where we're not as where people are not as privileged as the United States, uh, where they don't have as much uh, access to things like banking or credit. And so they can self-custody their Bitcoin in the same way, you know, people in El Salvador would literally buy bricks or buy concrete bricks because it was an investment and they'd self-custody those, those bricks and then sell later to make money. And that's an important, a very big tenant of, of uh, it's the same idea for people out there who are wondering what the heck I'm talking about. 
self-custody of your crypto is the same idea as literally taking your cash and sticking it into, you know, like a mattress. I know that's not a great like visualization because it feels kind of like CD, but that's the idea, right? Yeah. It's like you can now hold your crypto and keep it safe. And a lot of people want that, you know, and not everybody wants that, but that's a big deal. That's the first time I think in, you know, a long time that we've had the ability to do that, maybe since the gold standard. So, well, and it fits with, you know, if you look around at like the problems we do see in the world, the, it's the, you know, politicians bending all the rules, just making mm. up rules that don't make sense and just on the fly and then changing them or creating bills with 2,700 pages that nobody can read uh, in the time that they have to be signed and put into play or stuffing bills with money all over the place. So you've got that dynamic, which is not good for the rest of us. And then you have this dynamic of in the general marketplace, nobody wants to take responsibility. Everybody wants the right to point the finger at somebody else. If something goes wrong, Hey, it's your fault. You didn't hold my passwords. You didn't hold my money. You didn't hold, you know, whatever. It doesn't have anything to do with the choices and decisions that I might've made. Like I just have the right to sue you because I can. And so the good thing about free markets is that when those pendulums swing too far left or too far right, they self-correct because the market says, Hey, this stuff doesn't make sense. And the market just shifts gears. And some of that is kind of like the points that we were talking about when we were talking about Jerry, Jeremy Rubin, he's like, Hey, it was a cool thing to just be sound money but the market has kind of shifted a little bit and we've got to add some of these other characteristics and we'll do it in a secure way to maintain the security and stability and all the good things of Bitcoin. But to survive, we've got to add some of this DeFi and um, you know, smart contracts and stuff like that. So I think those are really good points too that a lot of people just don't think about because they're like, what price is Bitcoin today? Uh, did I make yeah. money or did I lose money? And there's just not a lot of it's just not a lot of value in that because money has no value in my opinion it's a belief system and yeah. when that belief system that faith and belief crumbles in money you see it go to zero so you're sitting on the one hand you got this money that declines mathematically declines every single day and then you have this other money that mathematically increases every single day and so it's kind of like we're just at one of those times and the belief has shifted dramatically over the last year and a half um, with the everyday person because uh, they're starting to realize they're starting to see it show up in different parts of their life. And so to me, the solution to help fix all those things that I just talked about that were bad is whatever comes out on the other side of, um, you know, stuff like what you're doing, just Bitcoin in general, crypto in general, when companies like NCR figure out, better ways to help those those values move around for them to make it easy for the masses um, i totally agree i think i if i had to uh, paint my view or my vision of the of a future that i'd love to see it would include bitcoin as a currency being leveraged by every man woman and child to pay for more or less everything in their lives um, and you know there's my grandkids are using it and they have Bitcoin wallets and they're paying for stuff. And then there's these DeFi or decentralized financial products that, you know, maybe work in some harmony with centralized financial institutions because there's a market for DeFi to exist. And 
people trust centralized financial institutions. So maybe there's this DeFi and CFI, if you will, or TradFi world where you know we can leverage these DeFi protocols to provide more value for people. Um, but if not, you know that's that's a potential future. But if not, you know you're going to see an uptick of this DeFi. Uh, as a as a product as a solution to the market. I mean, it's already happening. It's not going anywhere. And that's to Ruben's point. Like we can either sit back and let it happen, and people continue to get scammed. And there's continuous, you know, uh, crap coins, if you will, like not good coins that get minted, and people get, you know, screwed over by that. And or you can look to the future and see a future where DeFi protocol fundamentals get integrated to the Bitcoin uh, core protocol. And that way we can build things that are sound money and then sound money backing sound financial products. Uh, so that's the future, if I had to speculate, that I would love to see and I hope could, could one day happen. Yeah, and I'll piggyback on that. What, what I like to try to say to people is look around what you do every single day when you get up, uh, the device that you use, the email that you use, the videos that you watch on YouTube and Netflix and all those, those things are powered by APIs. Everything and and all those are just connectors off TCP IP is different protocols that deliver these different mediums to you on a daily basis in a better manner than what we had with the TV where you had to be sitting in front of the TV at 7 PM on Tuesday night to watch whatever show, or you missed it. Um, and, and there was no DVR to go back and get it. And so if you miss three weeks, you might as well wait till next season. Um, but yeah. these connectors, DeFi and, and smart contracts and, and Bitcoin network and all that's coming together to offer that same value to our financial lives. Cause our financial lives really don't have that. Um, mm -hmm. we, it would be awesome just to kind of have like one unified source of your information that different things could tap into it securely and not have your, your credit card all over the internet or your address and social and all those things, stuff you could imagine in a world when this stuff really gets built out that I don't know if you remember like the Equifax hack yeah. a couple of years ago. Well, well I remember that I, I was working for a company that was rep that did their marketing. So it was like a, Four, fire, you know, six alarm fire for us. Yeah, but I mean, you put all that data in a in a blockchain that's securely available, and and maybe your breaches don't aren't that bad. Um, so yeah, a lot of cool yeah. stuff. Well, well, and that that goes back to um, that's a good point, and it goes back to something that I was talking about earlier with decentralized identity. Without getting too in the weeds, there, you just imagine a world where you don't have to entrust Equifax with all of your personal information. Because God knows that it's just a matter of time before they get hacked again and again and again. And so what if we could decentralize that data from that central place, i.e. Equifax or fill in the blank, you know, central Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and put it back in the hands of users. And then you're only releasing information when you get benefit out of it, right? When you want to log into the service to use it, or you want to, let's say, for example, make money off of it. Like somebody's going to literally give you value in return for you sharing your phone number or your email address. Like that's a potential future. Um, and there's a thing called BTCR, I think. And it's a, it's a self-sovereign identity implementation on top of Bitcoin. I actually met a guy named Ryan Grant, who was um, working closely with Jared, with Ruben 
and he was telling me all about this. So that's an interesting little play for the future where, you know, you could easily see credentials. And what happens is from a technical standpoint, no data is on chain, but the, the issuance of that credential is on chain. And so you can't like scour the chain and find and decrypt information that would then make people vulnerable. But you as a holder of a credential can say, the government sent me this and I can prove it because I can take the signature on that credential and I can take the public key of that government, which is a crypt cryptographic public key, and you can use them to then verify each other. And it'll tell you mathematically, yes, this public key used its private key to sign this data. And so anyway, um, I see if I would love to see that as a part of the future too. And you're right. You could just eliminate hacks What a world, right? And stuff like that, it makes sense in a world where we kind of are trending to less jobs because computers do more of the work. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so everybody has to have income. How do you live? Well, if we move to more of a crypto-based world where these types of things that you just mentioned maybe are happening, now there's opportunities. Instead of my information going directly to Facebook for them to profit trillions of dollars a quarter, all mm -hmm. of a sudden wherever, however that's used on my end and all these different platforms that I'm on, those royalties fall down, at least in some part to me. And now I have income where in a, you know, ready player one world where everybody's just in cyberland and we got VR headsets on um, with no income sitting on the couch, getting our stipend from the government. Um, you know, it, it makes it's a big change in, in the life that the way that we look at it and you know, that stuff probably takes 20 years, but it makes all that make sense rather than the fear of what are we going to do when 20 million people just don't have a job because you know, the computer does it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Well, um, anything else big you want to touch on? No, I mean, you know, um, we covered a lot in the space. I think, you know, it's an exciting future for NCR. And if there was anything that I had to impart upon listeners, it would be, you know, Bitcoin payments, in my opinion, from my perspective, are coming. Um, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, there's this lack of value that comes from not being able to use a particular asset, right? It's like if you had a bunch of liquidity and no way to use it, it's not liquidity. It's just Oh, it's nothing. Yeah. So it, it's coming and that will open up, I think, the value to the market and more and more people will be onboarded and you'll see the price skyrocket. If you're a speculator, if you're an investor, like you'll see it'll happen. Right. And there's only there's a finite schedule of how much Bitcoin gets issued. And I'm going to reiterate that because every and there's a thing called the halvening and every four years the reward for mining a block cuts in half. And right now I think we're at like 6.25. Six, yeah, something like that. But, you know, in, in two more years, there's going to be even half of that as a reward. And so you're going to see the price go up, right? And then as more and more companies adopt it for use, you're going to see the price go up because people are going to want to use it. It's privacy enabling. It's, it's fast. It's fairly cheap to acquire, like, you know, basically free if you use Strike. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, I think my last, maybe final parting thoughts is Bitcoin payments are coming uh, and Bitcoin, you know, is going to, you know, change the world, I think. And that's an exciting prospect. I'm excited for it. And that the happening piece is a really big, really big uh, 
point because you know there's 21 million bitcoins three or four million is lost but right now 18.8 18.9 right at 19 million have been printed so not printed wrong word uh mind um uh, yeah, yeah. about think about regular finance um <laughs> been mined so over the next 120 years you'll only see two two million bitcoins be mined so yeah. it it definitely paints the picture of don't worry about the price if bitcoin which we're seeing happen is starting to be used as an asset that that transfers value and that you can trade and buy things and there's only two million left three or four million lost so you're sitting at maybe 17 18 million total and there's going to be more and more demand that's where that de supply demand dynamics really kick in and if you just were like wanted to focus on price that's when you would really see prices ratchet up uh and where you get some guys that, that put these crazy numbers on it it's because it's math there's no other way. The only way it doesn't work that way is if everybody just says, well, we're not going to use this thing as a currency, as a financial asset, and nobody believes in it. Um, but I, I personally think that you can't put that genie back in the bottle. I mean, yeah. I could be totally wrong. But um, so anyways, that was the last piece on that that, that I want to say. Where where can people, if uh, if listeners wanted to find you, where can they find you online? What um, How they get in touch with you? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Me personally, you know, I'm on Twitter um, at BTC Bry. Um, and then, you know, I have Telegram. Um, I'm on Discord. I'm on, um, you know, I'd all have a Facebook. I think I have an Instagram. I never use it. Uh, but, you know, you can always reach out to me uh, personally and, uh, you know, brianwnani at gmail.com or brian.nani at ncr.com. Both of those work. Um, yeah. So definitely connect, reach out. And, you know, ncr.com, you can find out more about NCR as a company and um, keep an eye on the, the horizon because there will be definitely more to come with regards to Bitcoin and NCR. Awesome. Well, Brian, I really appreciate you joining today. Had a good time and uh, look forward to catching up. Yeah, thanks, Kane. It was fun. Had a good time.